Hello, thank you for tuning in for this first episode of a five-part podcast mini-series where we're going to be discussing cryptocurrency, crypto recovery and other aspects of crypto from a disputes angle. I'm Chris Pease, I'm a partner at Harneys in the BVI. I'm joined by Megan Elms, an associate at Harneys here in the BVI, and James Drury from Kalo Advisors, also in the BVI. James is an insolvency practitioner and Kalo specialise in disputes and asset recovery investigation and forensics. All of us, I think it's fair to say, have had our hands full recently with crypto cases and we all worked together on a case which generated a first of its kind order from the BVI courts. Big hacking case where we started off not knowing the identity of the hacker but have been able to make substantial recoveries from him. We'll be talking about that case which we refer to as chain swap in depth in later episodes and, and other issues that arose from it. And that's really the catalyst for recording this series. Why does the BVI matter when it comes to crypto? The short answer to that is it's a jurisdiction which has a number of exchanges based here. It has a number of token issuers based here. And there are various other entities and projects which are based here. Numerous crypto funds are being set up here. It's, it's a jurisdiction which is quite hot for this particular market. And so as a result of that, well, we are seeing a commensurate amount of dispute work and crypto recovery and tracing work. Now, before we go into depth in some really fascinating areas in later episodes, we thought we would spend this episode just talking generally about what crypto is and its framework, just to ensure that those who are listening who aren't already familiar with these issues have a sufficient understanding. With that in mind, James, do you want to talk a bit about what digital assets are, what cryptocurrencies are? Yeah, firstly, thank you for having me. I'm just going to fly through this. I think as a crypto framework 101, I think let's have a look at what crypto is. It's a digital virtual currency. It's secured by cryptography and it's on a decentralized network based on the blockchain. So the blockchain, what is it? Well, it's a specific type of database. It stores the information in blocks which are then chained together through mining. So think of blockchain as a online ledger. So everything that happens on blockchain is recorded, a live action of that transaction. So everything you can see is completely transparent. All you need is the wallet addresses to be able to access that. That's a good way of looking at it. Just two things you touched on there, James. The first being that it's decentralized. Now, by that, what I understand you to mean is that there aren't necessarily third parties that need to be involved in the process of creating or transferring crypto assets. So in other words, it's, it's something that just happens in accordance with the programming, the, the software. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's a peer-to-peer direct transaction. So if I want to send you and it depends on what blockchain it's on, but if I wanted to send you one Bitcoin, it's a transaction that I have directly with you, as opposed to if I wanted to send you $100 in the BVI, I would have to go to the bank, who would then have to send it through an intermediary, who would then send it to you. So it's just removing that centralized middleman. Yeah, and then the other thing, which is perhaps the most relevant to us as asset recovery specialists, is, is that, of course, you have this, this ledger, this, this record, 
which can be viewed by anyone, but which is permanent as well. And that, of course, is fundamental to blockchain technology. And it means, of course, that wherever digital assets have, have moved around, you can see where they've gone at each step of the way, or at least you can in theory. And there is that permanent record which you can always look back to as, as part of a tracing exercise. So they're quite unique in, in that sense. Yeah, I think it all happens in real time. You can see it all via whatever blockchain you're looking at. There's public explorers that allow you to go in and look at that. And I think the interesting thing for me and why I I like the crypto side of it from an asset recovery perspective is that you're moving away from the highlighter pens, the Excel spreadsheets, the requests of the banks for thousands of pages of historic data, whereas now you can see it all. You can go in. There is no ambiguity about whether or not it's been falsified or changed at all. It's there. It's accessible. It's completely transparent. And the ease to be able to follow that crypto can be done in seconds. And it can be done by a lot of us without very much sophisticated software. As I said, a lot of it is public. And, and so you have you have crypto, which is this non-tangible virtual asset, which are broken down into individual tokens, just in the same way that money is broken down into you know, whether it's dollars or, or, or pounds or whatever it may be. Now, where are those things held? Now, we know they're in the blockchain, but where would you find these cryptocurrencies or, or these tokens? So you're then looking at really exchanges and wallets. So your first thing to look at is an exchange. I look at this as the on-ramp and off-ramp. And I think that's especially relevant when you're looking at it from asset recovery perspective is because that's that's what you're looking for. And we'll touch on that in other episodes. But you're looking for that off-ramp so that the exchange is the one that will hold the KYC and then they'll be looking to transfer fiat, i.e. real money, to a bank account, which they can then use in the real world. So to go onto an exchange, that's where you're depositing your fiat. You're then making a trade for crypto. And within that exchange, that is a centralized exchange, usually regulated, usually subject to the same AML and KYC requirements as most other banks. And then within that, users or holders of those tokens will then look to transfer it to a hot wallet or what is called a software wallet. That is usually something that's an extension within your browser, an app on your phone. But the the benefits of holding in a hot wallet is that you then own that asset. If it's an exchange, you don't own it. That is the exchange. It's the same as a bank. You're just a, a number and a line on their ledger. You also then have cold wallets, which is one further removed from the hot wallet, which is something that's not connected to the internet. And they all have positives and negatives. But I think to come back to your point about storing, I think one of the important things is that crypto isn't stored in the wallets. What the wallets do is they store your private and public keys. So crypto, depending on whatever it is, whatever token it may be, is stored on-chain. It never leaves the blockchain. It is just your private keys and the public keys that are stored in the wallet. So, so it, it's used to denote ownership. So in other words, while, exactly. whilst you have the token sat there on the blockchain and it doesn't go anywhere, you know that when you're looking at specific tokens, they, they are held at this wallet address. And, that, that's the, and, and you see that as a, as a public key. That, that is where they just, much like an email address, you know, if it's associated with that key, it belongs to that person, whoever owns that wallet. Yeah, so a public key like an email address or account number, you're happy, you can share that. So we can, I can give my public key to Megan or you, but 
the private key is the one that you never share. So that's the equivalent of your password or your PIN number. With all of that in mind, Megan, do you want to tell us a bit about how disputes arise relating to different types of digital assets and cryptocurrencies? Can you, can, can you tell us a bit about some of the circumstances in which you've seen disputes arise? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you've mentioned, Chris, we've seen crypto-related cases massively on the up in the last year or so. And there has been quite a diverse range of cases that we've seen. The first one, and it's the one that people's mind probably most commonly jumps to, is a traditional hack where assets are stolen from wallets and then we have the task of tracing them and crypto is often shrouded with this idea that the people who sit behind the assets are sat behind a computer screen and completely unidentifiable and so obviously that is one of the main tasks we face in those cases. Another one is just picking up on something James said about the different way you can hold crypto assets. We've seen cases where tokens have been placed with exchanges and then the users are finding it hard to withdraw them and to their mind they're thinking I've put these assets in what you can view as being analogous to a bank and now I'm not being allowed to get those funds out so they come to us and ask how they can do that. And they're the two main cases I would say we've seen with increasing regularity. Chris, is there anything else you want to add on that? Well, I, I think I think that's absolutely right. Those are the two that we that we're seeing more than more than any others. I, I think there's always, at least theoretically, the possibility that you will have some form of wrongdoing. You know, whether it's whether it's fraud or something else, where you know that wrongdoer then has the proceeds of the wrongdoing and, and they want to yeah they, they, they want to dissipate that they want to conceal it they want to move it away from the, the person they, they took it from and of course I, I think a lot of people when they think of crypto automatically think well that that's what it's used for it's used for this way of, of concealing these assets now that may well be the case and they may well be asset tracing crypto tracing exercises that are done in that context and in fact I'm sure there, there, there will be but I think as people's understanding of blockchain technology cryptocurrency grows and and the more the more people become aware of the um, the ability to trace cryptocurrencies that actually you'll find that that sort of use of cryptocurrencies really declines and I think that's a good point particularly in the context of this podcast where we're going to be talking a lot about tracing a specific digital asset or a specific set of tokens through and using the blockchain and using the block explorers to ultimately get to the end of the end of the road and identify who our hacker was and how we can then go about using the more traditional tools that we have and that we're well versed in dealing with freezing injunctions and disclosure orders and all of the things that you'd be used to dealing with in a civil claim in the context of a crypto fraud or a crypto hack. Yeah, I think that's a great point and probably a great point at which to end this episode because all of those things are going to be, are going to be things that we'll discuss in, in later episodes. So thank you for listening to this, this intro pod and hopefully you'll join us for the next one where we'll be discussing a case that we've been advising on recently, the chain swap, which makes for a very interesting story. So, so join us for that one.